I am thrilled today to get to introduce you to, uh, I know many of you know him, one of my favorite speakers, somebody I always enjoy having here with us, a young man that uh, grew up around here, grew up in our youth group, grew up in our school, uh, worked for us on, on staff for a while, then went to uh, seminary and is now working in a great church down in Springfield, Missouri, a great friend of this church, a great friend of ours, and I know many of you love him. Will you welcome, as he comes today, uh, Justin Johan. So Justin, come. Bless you, buddy. Thank you, Pastor. Love you. Well, good morning. Are you awake? Are you ready to jump in the Word of God? I've had three cups of coffee, so I am ready to go. Coffee drinkers, show me your hands right now. Oh, praise God for a godly church. Cut four will come in between services, so we can do it again. But good, good morning. So good to see you uh, here. And as, as Pastor Mark said, you know, I just echo what you just shared about camps. Camps changed my life. Uh, camps in the Oasis Youth Ministry, whether they were in Wisconsin or Chicago area, went to Springfield, Missouri uh, one year. But camps are essential. If you're a parent in this place, the best thing you can do is make sure your kids are at camp because the presence of the Lord is there in a unique way and it'll change their life. And so uh, make sure your kids are in, in camp. But uh, congratulations, 50 years. Can we just thank God for what he's done? Let's celebrate that. I know you're celebrating all month, but God has done something incredible. We got to see this building last Christmas for the first time and then first time to be able to preach. I mean, this is such a privilege and an honor because this church... Uh, and, and just the academy. <laughs> I always get choked up when I talk about it, but I've had such a tremendous impact on our lives. And if there's nothing better than that, I met my wife through this church and through the academy. And so God, if you're single in this place, look around. You never know what God might do. And so we are, are just so grateful for the years that God had us here. And yeah, I spent about seven years combined uh, on staff at the church before the Lord led me uh, to seminary, uh, both to, to attend the seminary, but my wife went to Evangel, so we were dating at the time. There was a little incentive to go to Springfield, Missouri, but, uh, and then after three years of that, joined staff at James River Church, where God is just doing great things, and we're so excited to be a part of all that he is doing. And so thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, or your iPad, or your iPhone, or an Apple wannabe device of some other sort, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where I want to talk to you this morning on a message I've entitled, The Will of God. Probably one of the most frequent questions we have as believers is, what's the will of God for my life? What does God want me to do? Or maybe you come into a season of difficulty or transition and you're trying to discern, God, what do you want me to do? Which way do you want me to turn? And, and as believers, that's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing event where we will have situations and decisions to make in life where we need to know God's will. In fact, a few years ago, Elise and I came to one of these decisions where we just need to know that God's will in a, in a certain direction of our life, what to do uh, about what I would consider a major decision. Some of you will be able to relate because uh, it was a decision that was wrapped up in how it would affect our life, how it would affect our lifestyle, how we could use our time, where our finances were going to go uh, to that end. And 
And really, it was a, real, a rather big deal, and some of you know exactly where I'm headed with this, but we became the proud parents of a Jack Russell Terrier. <laughs> Brought him into our home, and uh, it changed our life. It changed what we could do with our time. It changed how much we slept at night. It changed the color of our carpet. It did a lot of things in our home. And, and maybe you're in here this morning, and you're considering becoming a pet owner. And, and I just want to, because I think my, my godly duty to, to you as a pastor is to just inform you of some things that you might think about. And if you're a, if you're a pet owner, just show me loud and proud right now, okay? A lot of pet owners, so you're going to know. But do your research, all right? Research is absolutely critical when determining what kind of animal you're going to bring in your home. We did none of that. We went to Craigslist, and we found a picture and we got in the car and we drove 40 miles and we're, Lord, just, we want to do what you want us to do and, and you know, we want to make the right decision, but, but guys, and especially if you're married, just a bit of advice. The second your wife lays eyes on that puppy, the Lord has spoken to her and you are bringing that dog home, but you're stopping at PetSmart on the way where you will give them your paycheck, they'll give you a small bag of food and a couple toys and you will be on your way. That is how this will work out for you. Do your research. He's a great dog, and I could not tell you the story without introducing you to him. He'll show him on the screen. There's Wrigley. He's a, no, don't let him fool you. He, he, do not let him fool you. He woke me up at 5 a.m. this morning, uh, which is probably a good thing. But that's Wrigley. And, you know, maybe even more exciting, while I can brag about it, we became an aunt and uncle again, and so we got to spend some time with baby Levi James. He's going to be here on the screen. They have a picture of him because I'm a proud uncle right now. Look at him. Levi James Milner. Uh, did I say that? Walner? I said Milner. I really, it's really my sister, I promise. I know her name. <laughs> oh, my, she's not here. She's with the baby. Please don't repeat that. Edit it out of the audio. But he is awesome. In fact, I was holding him last night in my arms. It's amazing how, how babies can just communicate with you right then and there. And I just felt this over, overarching sense. You said, you're going to be my favorite uncle. And he was just, he was, I was really getting those vibes. So, so excited for them. Well, I want to talk to you this morning out of the book of 1 Thessalonians where the, Paul, where the Apostle Paul is giving some final instructions to the church of the Thessalonians. And we're going to read beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5. What I love about this verse is that Paul will end it by saying, this is the will of God for all believers. So if you're a believer in this place, this is going to be an easy one. Because this is the will of God for you, according to Paul. So read with me in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, be joyful when you feel joyful. Pray when you really need something from God and be thankful when everything's going the way you'd want it to go. Now he says, always be joyful. Don't ever stop praying and in all circumstances, be thankful. And it's interesting in the Greek that Paul doesn't just write these as suggestions, but they're actually commands. He is commanding believers, 
to be joyful, to be grateful, and to never stop praying and asking God to do amazing things. Well, first he says always be joyful, which sounds really nice, doesn't it? Like, well, if that was only possible. You mean always be joyful, Paul? I mean when I drop my cell phone in the toilet and I no longer have a phone, I'm supposed to rejoice about that? Wife might have done that in the last couple of weeks, and, but she has a new cell phone now, so we are joyful for that. <laughs> you mean I'm supposed to be joyful when I go and I find out I've lost my job or I've lost income or something tragic has happened? You're telling me that Scripture points us to being joyful the truth is, it absolutely does. And you know as well as I do that you can never force somebody to be joyful. You can never force happiness on someone. You can't say, just be happy and make it happen. The truth is, we can't do it on our own. And what's interesting is that Paul, who's writing these words, if you're familiar with Scripture, you'll know that he is probably one of the greatest uh, you know, men, uh, one of the writers of Scripture to have ever lived. But he's also one who encountered great hardship and great tragedy and great difficulty. So we're not talking about someone who just is more optimistic than he is pessimistic. We're talking about a man who went through trials that some of us may never have to experience and yet he still would put pen to paper and say, be joyful always. There's never a time when you cannot have joy in your heart because Paul recognized a few things about joy that I think it's important as believers if we're gonna experience the joy that Paul's talking about we must understand. First, Paul understood that, that joy is not dictated by our circumstances. That joy, real joy, is not dictated by our circumstances. So don't use feelings of happiness or sadness as the barometer for your joy, but instead recognize that joy is something outside of our circumstances. In fact, the difference between feelings of happiness and feelings of joy are completely different. Happiness comes from the idea of happenstance. It's based on what happens to me, I'm either going to be happy or I'm gonna be sad. So when good things happen, I'm happy. When bad things happen, I'm not happy or I'm sad. And that's not a bad thing, emotions aren't a bad thing, but what we're talking about is a deep sense of joy that only can be found in one place, which we're gonna see here in a moment. We live in a culture that tells us that happiness is available in all kinds of areas. Say, so if you just have more money, if your income increase, increases, you'll be able to do things that will actually bring you more joy, will bring you more happiness. Or if you find that right person and you, and you marry them, well, then you're really going to be happy and you're going to have everything you want. Or if you, if you gain that personality or that job status or people really respect you, then your happiness will increase. If you attain the American dream, just imagine. And isn't every commercial, people are so happy. I mean, what kind of things sell with sad people? And you're like, if you really want to buy this, you know, it's okay. It will be, you know, maybe satisfied. No, culture everywhere we look is saying, if you just have a little more, that will equate more happiness. But it's interesting that studies are showing that as a person's level of wealth increases or a person's level of materialism increases. In fact, their levels of anxiety and depression and dissatisfaction with life are also increasing in our country. 
which should point us to a staggering, staggering truth. Perhaps joy is not found in the things that culture promises that it's found in. Probably one of the most staggering studies I read a couple years ago came out of Yale University. It was a very lengthy study. It was, I think, uh, maybe 20 pages long. It took them years to complete it. And what they found was the number one thing killing Americans was ourselves. That suicide is the number one killer in our country. And you might think, well, certainly it must be among the poor and those who have the least and those who have nothing. But in fact, the number one individual who are taking their life are white males in their 50s who are multimillionaires. What has happened? I mean, they, they have attained everything the world says they should be able to attain and have happiness. But what is missing? And Paul's going to point to that. In fact, the words of Jesus are going to point directly at that for us this morning. But the truth is that culture promises us something that it cannot deliver on. However, God promises us something that you can count on and he will always deliver on. Because always being joyful means that no matter what happens to me externally, I have an internal confidence that God is for me, that God is going to be faithful, that he's going before me, and he is never going to forsake me. He's never going to leave me, and my joy can only be found in him, and I'll prove it to you. Look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I mean, doesn't that sound awesome, like a joy that is overflowing? Are you experiencing that in your walk with Christ? A joy that is overflowing, but notice he says, it's not your joy, it's my joy. Because the truth is that, that Paul and Christ, the, the one who is joy himself, understands that supernatural joy requires a supernatural impartation. Only God can give you real joy. But it's interesting, Jesus says, I've told you these things. So what are the things that Jesus has told the disciples? That he says, if, if you, I've told you these things so you can experience this kind of joy. Well, let's look at it a few verses earlier. John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Really? Like anything I want and you're going to grant me my wishes. Is that for real? But Jesus understands something. When we're abiding in him, we're going to ask for the things that he wants us to ask for. Our hearts are going to be in tune with the living God. And as he's speaking to us, we're going to begin to ask for things that we wouldn't have otherwise. He says in verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. See, Jesus is teaching us that overflowing joy, real joy, is found in not one place. It's only found in one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he say to do that? He says, if you abide 
in me. What does that mean? Abiding has this idea of remaining with and walking with. Some, some uh, definitions of abiding are to walk with, to journey with, to do life with. You know, as you do life with Christ, that he wants to take you on a journey where you will go from glory to glory to glory. This is what scripture says, that he wants you to overflow with his joy. And the question for us as believers is not, is that true, but am I experiencing it? The psalmist promises us, he says, draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. So we abide first by, he says, if my word remains in you, that we're in his word, that we're allowing his word to dictate our life. We're allowing his word to dictate where we go. You know, a lot of Christians get tripped up when they begin to put their personal experience above the word of God. They say, well, I know God may say that, but my experience says otherwise. And what we do is we become our final authority. Instead of the Bible speaking, we say, well, I know it may say that, but my experience is otherwise. My experience says that's not true my experience says that joy is not possible that way well then you'll never experience what you don't believe in the bible is true because reality is seeing is not believing believing is seeing when you come to christ you have the opportunity to begin seeing some things that otherwise you wouldn't And I can prove that to you, and you can look all throughout Scripture, and this is true. The Israelites are headed into the promised land, and God has promised them. He's spoken to them. I'm going to give you this land. When you enter it, there are going to be people that resist you. There's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties, and they're going to be big, and they're going to be strong, and they're going to have weapons. But fear not, because I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to do it. So what they do? They sent 12 spies in to check it out, and what happens? They all come back. Ten of them say, we can't do this. They're big and they're mighty. And if we go in there, what's going to happen is they're going to kill us. And the promised land is going to remain theirs. It's not ours. And only two of them. I love scripture that says that. It says that too. Joshua had a different spirit. He said, are you kidding me? The God of the universe spoke this. The God of the universe is going to do it. We're not going to do it in our power. He's going to do it. But what did the people go with? They went with what they saw instead of what they knew what to be true, that God, how God had spoken to them. And you know the story, if, you're, if you've been in church, that instead of seeing the promised land and God do an amazing miracle, instead they wandered the desert for years. God said, now none of you will see it. You see what, what happens is, and I think all the more, and, and I love America, I love our country, God has blessed us in so many ways, but with abundance can come a lack of trusting God because we have our needs met and therefore we stop asking and we stop seeking and then we stop seeing and so people can end up saying, well, God doesn't do big things anymore. God doesn't do miracles. God doesn't really speak to people and we allow our experience to outweigh the word of God because instead of asking, if you don't believe, you won't ask. And if you don't ask, you won't see. And if you don't see, it'll all come full circle. But if you do believe, you'll ask God for big things. You'll ask him to do miracles. You'll ask him to make the impossible possible. And he will do that. He will go before you. He will help you. And your faith will be built up through it. I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a direct correlation between your joy and your abiding in Christ. Reality is, it's very simple. The more you abide 
the more joy you will have. That's the promise of scripture. The more you abide, the more, now that, that's not to negate difficulties in life and hardships, times of loss, emotions are from the Lord. But anybody in this place who has lost a loved one or gone through a very tragic time as a believer and you've pressed into the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say there is a deep-seated joy within me that says no matter what happens, God is for me, God is helping me, God is with me. This is the joy we are promised. You know, it's interesting. Elise works in the emergency room uh, down at one of the hospitals in Springfield, and, and she thrives on that. I, I, would, I pass out at the sight of blood or needles or anything. She thrives. I mean, her litmus test for a good day is how many traumas come in. So um, we, we, do, we are two, two different sides of, of the coin there, but she thrives on it. And, and it's really been incredible, though, to see how God has used this principle in her life. Now, if you know Elise, you, you may say, well, that, she doesn't count. She's just like a bundle of joy. And God has just given her so much joy. She's just natural. And, and it's true. And I thank God for that because it really helps me in, in times where she just has that joy from the Lord that is a gift. But it's interesting how she'll have people come up to her so often. And, and mainly early on when she started in the ER, Mostly unbelievers, unfortunately some believers would say this, we give you two years here and you'll lose that joy because joy fades. You may be all excited now and you may be, this is all new to you, but that joy is going to fade. And can I tell you, it's, I think you've been in there almost five years at the hospital, but three years in the ER. Today people are coming up to her asking her, how do you do it? Where does your joy come from? And, and Elise being the fun, loving person she is, she starts singing to them. The joy of the Lord is my strength. She will sing that to them. And people, here's their response. Wow, I feel a lot better right now. And they will go. And they will come back later. Elise, will you sing that song to me again? I mean, these are unbelievers. So we're going to do some practice, okay? All right, yeah, I need your help. Are you okay with this? Will you join me? Come on, let's just go make you feel good. Ready? The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 Give yourself a hand. That was very good. That was great. You feel better already, don't you? Why? Because when we speak truth, when we sing truth, something's connecting with the heart of God in that. And even unbelievers take note. Even unbelievers will watch your life and they'll watch your joy and they'll watch when you walk through situations and what are they watching? If we really believe what we believe is true. And if we do, then our life will not be dictated by circumstance but it will be filled with this overflowing joy that God promises us. Secondly, Paul says to pray continually. To pray continually. You know, I love how Paul has outlined this for us because I believe that Paul understands that our joy is linked to our being with the Lord. When, when Christ says, abide with me, he says, if, you are, if you're with me, if you follow my word, if you follow my revealed word to you, you obey my commands, 
if you live for me, if you're with me, what you're gonna see is not, not a God of rules and boundaries like much of the world will look at God, but instead you'll find everything I've given you is for your own good, for your own ability to thrive in this life because I've put all this together. I've spoken it in emotion. I tell things how they're gonna work. I, I, I've spoken it, and therefore, if you abide by those things, you're gonna actually find joy. The secret to joy is found in the word of God. It's with being with Christ, and the reality is our joy comes as we spend time in the Lord's presence. Meaning this, that when we pray continually, we're not talking about a a literal constant prayer that gets us in trouble at work and we're just praying over, uh, you know, vocally. But what God, what scripture is pointing us to is a heart of prayer. And, and, And that's not to remove, I think, designated time in the presence of the Lord is absolutely essential for every believer. And if that's lacking in your life, that's where we start to say, God, I've not been in your presence. I've not been with you. And therefore, I'm seeing my attitude and things within me aren't where they should be. So it starts there. But then it goes, it launches from there into all our day to what I believe is God, be a part of every part of my day. Be a part of every conversation. Give me divine wisdom in this meeting. Go before me in this encounter. Lord, I just need your presence with me. And I think one of the best prayers that you can pray, and and I started doing this, I believe it was Pastor Mark Batterson in Washington, D.C., that I read this. And it's been amazing as I started praying this way to see what God will do. I began to pray for divine appointments. That, Lord, here's my schedule today. I have my scheduled appointments. I have the things I have to be at. I have the meetings. And and certainly, Lord, I pray for your wisdom and your grace to go before those. But, God, I pray that you will give me appointments. You'll give me encounters that aren't on my schedule, that aren't on my calendar, where I'm able to speak life into somebody, or I'm able to encourage somebody, or I'm just crossing paths. And, And do you know I've had people come to me now, years later, and say, do you remember when you said that? I'm going to let you, little cat of the bag. I, I often don't. <laughs> like, you know, I, 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 sometimes I do, but sometimes, and you know, I think that points to something, though, that God wants to use you in supernatural ways, and some of those things you may not even know they made a difference. People will tell me that I talked to them for two minutes, and they said, you know, in that two minutes, you said this, this, and this, and do you know that changed my life? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, it, it did, and the, and the reality is, People are, are, are thirsting for words of encouragement. They're thirsting for, for just life to be poured into them. Do you realize you can do that? You know, I was in a coffee shop uh, last week, and I was doing some work uh, preparing for some things. And, and the problem with this is when you pray for divine appointments, God will give them to you. And, and I don't mean that as a problem. I mean that it's going to happen. If you ask God, I mean, his word is true, he's going to give you divine appointments. And so, uh, the, the, the faith, you know, the full of faith pastor I am, I often begin to argue with God when those divine appointments present themselves. <laughs> Say, well, God, I'm not sure how that's going to work out, or I don't know how they're going to respond to that. And so, uh, but I had in particularly a couple weeks ago written down in a prayer journal that I would meet over the course of the next year. Uh, I think I wrote down, you know, 10 atheists or people who don't believe like I believe so I could just encourage them and and build relationship. I think that was three weeks ago and five have already come into my life. It's very interesting. (laughs) I'm like trying to keep up with this. But uh, I was sitting at this coffee shop and I see in the corner of my, my, or I see in the corner of the coffee shop a Muslim couple. uh, She was dressed in the full Muslim outfit 
And I knew the Lord. He said, there's your appointment. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> That's not what I meant, Lord. I didn't mean that by divine appointment. I, give me something else. Give me a different divine, you know. And, and in my heart, I knew. I said, Justin, you're either going to respond to the appointment I've given you or you're not. And my voice is, if you're not going to respond, I'm not going to give you more. It, it's the way it works. And I don't mean that to make, sound God like, make God sound like you know, some angry God, but the reality is if we don't listen to the prompting of his voice, he's going to begin to not prompt us as much. And so I, being again full of faith, I waited until they started packing up their things. <laughs> and I got up out of my table and I walked to him and I said, hey, I know this may sound kind of weird, but I just wanted to come introduce myself. I'm Justin. And, and they both lit up and smiled and we sat there and talked for a good five minutes. And I'm trying to think, where are we going to go from here? You know, they're here from Saudi Arabia, uh, going to school at MSU, and going to be going back to Saudi Arabia in the next couple years. And I said, hey, would you mind if I give you my number? I didn't want to ask for his and make it weird. I said, can I give you my number? And if there's anything you need while you're here in Springfield, I'd just love to hear your story and how you came to your faith and, and, and how, you know, all that has played out. And he said, absolutely, and grabbed his phone, and he dialed my number in and immediately hit call. He said, and I'm going to give you my number, and I'm going to look forward to our conversation together. You never know what God will do with the divine appointments. You never know what that could turn into. Are you praying that way? Are you asking God, Lord, let me, let me not be limited by what I can see, but let me see what you can see. Lord, bring people into my path that I could change their life, maybe with just one conversation. James chapter 5 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That your prayers are powerful. That your prayers are effective. As you call on God, things will change Pastor Mark Batterson again says, your prayers are prophetic. What you're praying, show me what you're praying, I'll show you your future. You're praying God to do things in your life that you need his help on, that only he can do? Well, then you're gonna see those things happen. If you're not, you have not because you asked not. And let me ask you this morning, to do an inventory of your prayers. Are you asking God to do things in your life that, truth be told, if he didn't come through, or really you could do it on your own? Or are your prayers, do they include things that without God's help they won't happen? Are you praying for impossibilities? Are you praying for God to make an exception for you? Say, God, do it, and I trust you to do it, and I believe you to do it, and watch God move. Well, third, Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. I think the key word in this instruction, in this command from the Apostle Paul, is the word all. Be thankful in every circumstance of life. That means when things are going well and things are going perfect and everything's aligning in life, absolutely be thankful. But when things don't go well, when the income does go away, when the loved one does pass away, when the news comes in from the doctor and it's not what you wanted to hear, the, the scripture holds true. He says, be thankful. Be thankful. 
because maybe God's doing something more and he probably is than what you can see that what's happening because the reality is this a thankful heart despite trouble and despite challenges points both you and points the world to where our hope truly resides that our hope was not in our paycheck our hope was not in that job our hope was not in that person our hope was not in that boss our hope was not in that car or that house or whatever it is when it goes away and we thank God and we have joy and we're filled with him it points people to the fact that my hope is found in nothing less but Jesus Christ and his righteousness my hope is in him my hope And secondly, I believe a thankful heart shows a recognition that all I have is from God anyway. That I didn't develop this mind without the help of God. I, I don't have the ability to do what I do because I'm just so good. God's given you the mind to think. God's given you the ability to make money. God's given you the ability to do whatever it is you do. You don't have anything. And the proof of that is you didn't have anything when you came into the world. And you won't take anything when you leave. So it's all God's. He owns it all, and he's responsible, and he's gifted you, and he's given you talents, and he's given you abilities, and a thankful heart recognizes it. But the opposite is true, too. And I, if, you, if you're taking notes, you can write the scripture. We won't have time this morning uh, of Psalm 106. And the psalmist is recounting the attitude of the Israelites when they saw God do big things. And yet, as they came to obstacles, they began to doubt They began to complain. They began to say, God, where are you? I mean, they had seen the Red Sea divided. They had been delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. I mean, their their food was taken care of. I mean, fallen from heaven. Everything was taken care, care of. Led by a cloud by day and a pillar by night. And yet they came to a challenge and they said, God, where are you? We should have just stayed with the Egyptians. They wouldn't have killed us. At least we'd have food. It's shocking. Like, are you serious? All that you've seen God do, and yet you come to a challenge. You say, God, where are you? But the reality is this. The picture of the Israelites is a picture of us today as well. That if we're not careful, we can slip into a heart of ungratitude, of unthankfulness. We can say, God, I know you've done these things for me in the past, but I just can't see how you're going to do that in my future. And what you'll see in Psalm 106 is a result of an unthankful heart is complaining, pessimism, and not giving God the glory and the honor that he is due. And I'd simply ask you this morning in the presence of the Lord, as you take stock of your time, as you take stock of your joy and your time in the presence of the Lord, say, am I trusting God for big things or, or I don't really believe that even happens anymore? To, to this morning, not leave, having been in the presence of the Lord and allowing him to speak to your heart. When I think about my words, are my words full of life? Are my, are, do my words encourage people to trust God? Do my words encourage people to, to look to the Lord? 
Or do I slip so quickly to complaining and murmuring? I just call you. The way you change that is you begin to thank God for things. You begin to write down things you're thankful for. And all of a sudden, the more you thank God, the more you'll discover you have God to thank for. And all of a sudden, you're going to start to see joy come into your life. You're like, wow, God is doing a lot of things. Thank you, Lord, that I have a meal. Thank you, Lord, that that after this service, we have hundreds of places to choose if we want to go eat. And then we're going to have a menu with 50 or 75 or another hundred choices. And then a nice young man or a nice young woman's going to come and they're going to take my order. And they're going to take that back and they're going to make me a meal. And I just have to sit there and enjoy myself. Do you know how many people would die for that opportunity? And instead of saying a 45 minute wait, thank you God that I had the choice to come to this place today. I'm going to enjoy my Olive Garden. Amen. Oh, you can do better than that. Amen. Can we thank the Lord? God has been so good. I've heard one person say most of the world would trade our problems in a heartbeat. But God wants to do something in your life today. I believe he want, he's, he's brought this word. Because unless I've missed my mark, there's some of you in here this morning and, and you hear these words and say, well, that's nice, Pastor, for you. That's nice for people like Pastor Mark, or that's nice for that family. They're just perfect, and they have all this. But no, that's, that would be the enemy trying to take your eyes off of what the Scripture says is true. God wants this for you. God wants your life to overflow with joy. He wants your life and your prayers to ask Him for big things, not just so we have big things, but so He can show people in the world how big He is. And He wants us to have a heart of gratitude that regardless what we walk through, because people are watching do they really believe what they say is true is true or not many of you maybe know the story of Corey Ten Boone who was uh, her and much of her family were in the Nazi concentration camps one of the stories that came out of that season uh, they were able to smuggle a Bible in and, and they would hold prayer meetings and Bible studies and times of worship and her and her sister uh, had a discussion because the fleas were rampant in the, the area that they were in in the camp that they were in and uh, her sister began complaining and she said no we're not going to complain we're going to thank God for the fleas she said, well why would we do that because if they're here God must have a reason for them to be here I mean here they're talking about the fleas in the Nazi concentration camp, camp where I mean, just a horrific life experience. And here they're saying, we're going to thank God. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to praise His name because we recognize we're in His hands. Later, after they were delivered, they found that the guards would not come near their camp where typically they would abuse and do horrific things to the women, but they wouldn't come near because of the fleas. And countless women came to Christ through those Bible studies, through that worship time. What fleas do you have in your life that you need to thank God for? <laughs> Heading into this season of Thanksgiving, what a great opportunity we have, certainly as a day to honor and thank God for all that He's done. But it goes beyond one day. It goes into a lifestyle of thanking God. Some of you, that flea is going to be a relative Thursday you see once or twice a year thank God for them 
See what happens. See what God does. Before you start complaining, begin thanking and watch what God does. Watch how he reorients your mind and watch how he opens your eyes to see some things that otherwise you might not see. Well, as we wrap up our time this morning, I truly am convinced that as believers, we should be the most joy-filled, gracious-giving, faith-filled prayer warriors that walk this earth. If what we believe is really true, that should be true of us. I'm going to say that again because I think we need to, we really need to get behind that. I don't feel like you believe it. So I'm going to say it again and, and I want you to respond like you believe it. That as believers, we should be the most joy-filled, gracious-giving prayer warriors that walk this earth. Do you believe that this morning? That God wants to do that in your life? That God wants you to overflow with joy? The most gracious, full of gratitude people. Why? Because of what we have. We have been imparted with the greatest act of grace in all of human history because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And when you really understand that, when you understand the magnitude of what God has done and how he has not just saved you for eternity, although we praise him for that, but he saved you for today. You're here on this earth because there's work to be done. You're not just going to a job. You're not just raising kids. You're not just volunteering time. You are here to change the atmospheres of the places you're in. You are here to move the kingdom forward. You are here to speak life into people. That people who are watching you, that coworker says, I don't know what it's about that person but even when they go through difficulty they're still happy or they still have a joy or they have peace and they're not falling apart like others are do you realize the impact that that has on people one of the girls who used to say nearly make fun of Elise for a lot of the just being a Christian she was able to spend some time encouraging her recently in a break room at work about some things they were going through. And after she had been talking to her for just a few minutes, she said, I became aware that there are about four or five unbelieving nurses standing, listening intently to every word I was telling her about what we've seen God do in our lives and in our church and, and the people around us. Why would unbelievers be so interested in what she was saying? Because when we speak the truth, people want to hear it. Everybody's looking for Jesus. That's the truth. Everybody's looking for Jesus. A lot of people are looking in the wrong places. And since then, that girl, just through, just through the influence, has began attending church, and her and her husband have really redirected their lives. And it's just incredible to watch. And God wants to do that through you. God wants to use your life. He wants to use you in every area He's called you to do. So if you're a believer in here this morning, God's encouragement fact the command of scripture is to always be joyful find your joy in the Lord to never stop praying don't give up there are some in this room you've given up praying for a situation you've given up praying for a certain person you've given up praying or hoping for something and and I feel so strongly that the Lord spoke this to my heart this morning there's some in here and that's your that's where you're at the word of scripture says don't give up don't stop now 
Your prayer is, your prayer, the answer to your prayer is coming. Never stop praying. Never give up. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Always be grateful. No matter what happens, to develop a heart of gratitude because God has saved you. He's given you Jesus. And if that was all that God ever did for us, that would be enough. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord God. I thank you that, Lord God, Christianity is the only faith that speaks of a God interacting with his people the way you do. Lord, because it's the truth. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning. God, regardless of what they're facing, Lord, wherever they're at, Lord God, that in this moment, in your presence, God, that you would speak to them. Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, if they're honest with themselves, God, their life lacks a, a joy, Lord, that is overflowing with your goodness, God. Lord, I pray they not feel condemned by that this morning, but they'd feel hope. Lord God, that they'd feel, Lord, your presence in this place and your desire to draw them near to you. Lord, that their life might not be dictated by fear and anxiety, but instead can be overflowing with the power of God. Lord, I pray as a church, Lord, Lord, that we would never give up praying. Lord, that, that we would constantly pursue you and pursue your presence, Lord. God, that we would... Come in with an expectancy that we're going to meet with the living God and that you're going to do miracles and that you're going to move in our lives, God, in ways that, Lord, today we can't even imagine. And Lord, I pray in all of it that as believers, we would just have a heart of gratitude because, Lord, we have, we have been on the receiving end of the greatest miracle in history, and that is the salvation of our souls through the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any person in this place, God, who they've never made a commitment to you, or God, maybe one time they did, but truth be told this morning, their life's not characterized by these things. Lord, I pray that, again, in your presence this morning, you would do a miracle. You would let them experience that miracle of salvation, Lord God, where their eyes are open to the greater realities and their heart believes that the gospel is true. I pray you do that, Lord, right now. In Jesus' name.